can, I can point at like three or four events in my life and say like that event changed a ton in my life. Uh, but the most recent, I would say, is the birth of our first son, Finn. Uh, literally, in an instant, uh, we went from a family of two to a family of three. Um, I can remember driving home from the hospital and thinking, there's a human being in the back seat that weighs like five and a half pounds, and we have to somehow keep him alive. Um, the hours of our sleep changed. Uh, the way we spent time changed. No longer could we just like go and make plans and go and do it. Uh, no longer could we go to bed when we wanted and w wake up when we wanted. Um, we started having to spend more money. Diapers ain't cheap. Uh, we had to go uh, to more doctor's appointments. Uh, everything changed. Uh, our relationship to everything changed. As Jesus is preaching this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, right beforehand, he announces that the kingdom is at hand. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Jesus's kingdom is so pervasive and big and because of who Jesus is, because he's the king and he's the ruler and our savior, the thing he keeps on getting at over and over throughout this sermon is that because we follow Jesus, everything, every aspect of our life will be touched. Even and especially our relationship with other people. So much so that in this passage, he will say, if you're, if you're going to go worship and you find out that someone has something against you, stop and go and be reconciled to them. This Sermon on the Mount, we've said week after week, is an invitation to a life in Jesus. It's an invitation to find our lives in Jesus, to center our lives around Jesus. And what we find is that as we do that, that his is a kingdom of flourishing. But it's also a kingdom of life and of reconciliation. And, and so that has a bearing on the way we use our words, on the way we feel towards other people. And so tonight we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about anger and murder. Uh, and we're going to kind of look at it under three headings. One is uh, we're going to look at the heart of the matter. Uh, we're going to look at the effects of our hate. And lastly, we're going to look at the call to love selflessly. Let me read for us from Matthew chapter 5, and I'll pray. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand her over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let me pray for us. Father,
Uh, Lord, we live uh, in a world uh, that is angry. Uh, Lord, some of us are coming tonight feeling uh, angry. And so, Lord, as we look at your word uh, and what it tells us about anger uh, and about how you value life, uh, Lord, I pray that it would actually drive us to greater dependence upon you and that you might give us a vision of what it looks like to come to you with our anger, uh, to be healed, that we might live and seek the flourishing and the justice of others. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We were playing basketball uh, a number of years ago with a friend of mine while I was in grad school, and uh, he heard a pop in his knee, and uh, so... He tried to ignore it, tried telling himself, this is not what I think it is, it's not what I think it is. And then sure enough, he goes to the doctor. Doctor says, you've torn your ACL. Uh, And he said, you know, it's not the worst tear. He said, you could actually go and kind of like have a relatively normal life. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing like going skiing or playing a whole lot of basketball or doing hard cuts, but like you can walk. Uh, You might even be able to jog. Uh, But if you want this leg to heal, we're going to have to kind of get inside and deal with the real problem. Over and over again in Scripture, Jesus is actually getting at that exact same issue with us and our actions and our hearts. We just read from Matthew 5, and it's actually the first of six sections where Jesus will address the way the Pharisees and many in that time were using the law. And he'll start off by saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Uh, And in these, Jesus is not somehow contradicting the Old Testament, but what he's saying is, he's saying, you've heard it said, the the way you've been using the law is is merely for outward appearances. To the point that where basically the people believed, if I don't physically murder someone, if, if I don't actually have an affair with someone's wife, then I haven't murdered. Then I haven't actually committed adultery. And what Jesus is going to pound home in the next few sections is that he is after our hearts. It's kind of the theme we ended on last week when Jesus said he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he says, I want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. What he's saying is I want a righteousness that is not just surface deep but a real and true and lasting righteousness. He's saying you can look outwardly righteous. You you can pay a big amount of attention to your outward righteousness all the while not actually being righteous. And here he is doing it with the the sin of murder. He's dealing with a group of people that, that thought and were taught, as long as you do not physically kill someone, You are in the clear when it comes to this commandment. And Jesus Jesus actually goes one step further and he says, that is true. If you physically kill someone, you are guilty of murder. But I say you are missing a whole heart component to this issue. Jesus is going to get at the root of murder by looking at our anger. And he's saying, if you're angry with your brother, you are guilty. Now, Side note, there are places in Scripture where Jesus talks about righteous anger, anger against injustice, 
Jesus himself gets righteously angry in the temple. Here he's not talking about that. But he's talking about an anger that does not lead to justice, but actually leads to further destruction. It's not an anger that like leads to good and to help, but actually divides. And there's two words uh, in, in, in the New Testament that uh, are often used for anger. Uh, one is thumos, uh, which kind of refers to that type of anger that uh, maybe you've experienced in the past week. It's kind of like that explosive, like you stubbed your toe and you're angry, kind of like that fly off the handle. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you get really ticked off for a second and then you let it blow over and it dissipates. Uh, the other word is a word called orge. And it's a word that, types, that, that refers to a type of anger that is, that, that is a little bit more persistent. It's a type of anger that's, that, that marinates a little bit longer. It sits, it's nursed, it's nourished. That's what Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing that anger that, 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 that is kind of an anger that, that we kind of cultivate in our hearts. Um, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the type of situation where someone does something that annoys you or maybe uh, they embarrass you and you're not, maybe you don't, maybe you don't let off that you're frustrated or maybe you do. Uh, but when you go back to your room later that night, you're replaying that scene over and over in your head and you're thinking, how could they? How dare they? They were making fun of me. And so you begin to kind of rehearse that scene over and over in your head and not so much just remembering that scene, but now you're beginning to think of all these reasons why that person is terrible. Oh gosh, they did that to me. And now you begin to think of all these reasons they should have something like that done to them. And maybe even begin to fantasize about getting back at them. Ooh. And then all of a sudden, you see, don't you see, there's actually kind of like an adrenaline rush in anger. There's almost an addictive component to it where you begin to think about ways you can get revenge. It may, it may be subtly. You know, you're not so dumb as to do something really obvious. But maybe you'll just gently exclude them. You know, you'll just persistently ignore them, not invite them. Maybe you subtly embarrass them. Do something on social media to make them feel left out or less than. It's the type of anger that is sitting. It's being nursed. It's being nourished. And it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a deceitful, it's a deceitful sin because what it can do is, is it, it automatically, it is completely self-centered. I remember reading one passage and he said, it's really, it's impossible to become an angry person without being a self-obsessed person. And there's a thrill that goes along with it. And a pastor friend of mine turned me on to an uh, article by, by a New York Times columnist named Tim Kreider. And he, and he actually compares outrage and anger, the thrill of outrage and anger to porn. And he, he coined this term, outrage porn, referring to pornography. And he said this, he says, um, many contemporary people feed off feeling right, like... I'm right and they're wrong and I'm angry that they think they're right because I'm right. And they feed off the anger of feeling wronged. That person made fun of me. That person did wrong to me. 
and they begin to feed off this anger. And he says this, he says, outrage porn resembles actual pornography. It aims for cheap orgasmic thrill at the expense of another human being, but without any personal accountability or commitment to that human being. There's this thrill, there's this addictive component to anger. And sometimes that cheap thrill just remains in our head, but oftentimes it is going to affect the way we speak. Our anger is going to spill out into some component of our life. We may not blow up at the person, but it's going to affect the way we react the next time someone does something small and insignificant. It'll affect the way we speak to people. This is why Jesus begins to get at the way we use our mouths. Uh, He says, whoever insults his brother... Uh, that word insult, some, if you have your Bible, your translation might say, uh, whoever says raka to his brother. So, so some, some translations actually have that Aramaic word. And it's not, we think of, oh, somebody insults his brother. Uh, it's not just the action of hurling an insult that Jesus is getting at here, but, but that word has the connotation of treating somebody as a nobody. And he says, when you treat someone as a nobody, you're liable to the council. And you can do that in the way that you speak condescendingly. Maybe you have someone that maybe you think they're too prideful and, and, it, and it's your job to speak condescendingly to them to put them in their place. Uh, or maybe they've just done something wrong to you and, and you want to make them know that you're not bothered by it and you're going to put them in their place. Uh, but one of the more sneaky ways you can do this is just by excluding them. They've annoyed you, and now you're just going to shut them out. You're going to treat them as a nobody. You're going to treat them as if they actually don't exist in your life. And that's actually even more hurtful, because one of the main things that you all and I long for in this world is to belong. All of us want to belong which is why coming to college this year has been really hard, especially for freshmen, because it's hard to gain a sense of belonging in this environment. And one of the ways our anger seeps out and spills out is when we treat someone like a nobody, we're telling them that they do not belong. You do not belong here. It's one of the saddest conversations I have every year. Someone comes and tells me that they feel like they just don't belong in their family. Maybe it's in their friend group. Maybe they feel like they don't belong in their church or at UK or even RUF. And, and sometimes it's the effect of anger. It's, it, it, it's, been, an, it's been an act by someone else to, to actually actively exclude them so they do not matter. And you might think, gosh, Jesus is really making a big deal out of this. Like, why is he equating, like, why is he saying that if you're angry with someone that you're guilty of murder? Like, that seems really extreme. How does Jesus, like, what's the, how does Jesus thread that together? Uh, What's the connection? Well, Well, here it is. Every human being on this planet has been created in the image of God. Every single person. We're told in Genesis 1, In the image of God, he created them, man and woman. And when you treat someone like a nobody, when you exclude someone, you're basically declaring 
someone whose God has declared to be in his image to be less than you, to be not worthy of your time or your attention. And so not only are we offending them, but we are sinning against God as well. Your words matter. Your thoughts matter. There's ways you can actually make someone suffer more by insulting them than by actually even hurting them or killing them. I watched a documentary this past weekend on two famous baseball players, uh, Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. And Daryl Strawberry, uh, both of them battled drugs and alcohol. And uh, Daryl Strawberry was recalling the early years of his life. Uh, And he went on to become one of the most talented baseball players in Major League history. Uh, But growing up, he grew up in a family where he was regularly abused by his dad. His dad would go off, get drunk, come home, and look for a fight to pick. And it was with his sons, usually. But it's really interesting. He said, the physical pain of that hurt, but it was more what my dad was saying in the midst of those beatings that hurt even more. You'll never amount to anything. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me is the dumbest It's like the dumbest thing we can say because all of you have shame and wounds from things people have said to you. And so what Jesus is trying to get at in this whole section, but especially here, is that our sin runs so much more deep than we often want to believe. He wants us to see that the roots of our sin are actually just as dangerous as the actions. He's getting at the roots. He's he's concerned with the actions for sure. He wants us to see that that when, when you and I see our anger, I hope we feel just as guilty as when we actually physically hurt someone. That's when you begin to know that you're understanding the kingdom of God is when you grieve the sins in your life that no one sees as much, if not more, than the ones that everyone sees. This produces humility. Uh, This will actually produce gratitude for the gospel. It can be really easy in the Christian life to walk around just trying to keep up appearances, just trying to make everyone think, I'm doing okay, I'm good. That's an exhausting life, and it's not Christianity. But the moment you understand that your heart is broken and it's sinful is the moment that you understand, I can't fix this on my own. And I actually need a savior to come and heal me. And the gospel can actually meet you in that brokenness and that sadness. When you see the roots of your sin And it actually makes you able to love other people. It it makes you able to watch the news that comes out about people doing horrible things and and, and it enables you to look at the perpetrators of whatever and say, you know what? That is horrible and awful. But it's possible that the only thing that has prevented me from doing what they did is circumstances. Maybe I didn't have a gun near me when I felt that angry before. 
Maybe I didn't have that weapon near me. Maybe I wasn't in that situation. Maybe I didn't grow up in that household where I was routinely thought that this was okay. It actually produces humility and can push us into the lives of other people. That's what I want to look at lastly, is, is that when we deal, with, when, when, when we are in the kingdom, when we are trusting Jesus and looking at our anger, it actually frees us up to love selflessly and radically towards other people. We have four kids, I've mentioned before, and um, a couple years ago we made the transition where uh, the older two started joining us in church, and it was, I'll just say, a difficult transition. Um, and so I spent a lot of time out in the, uh, the foyer of the church and finally brought him in. It was like, okay, we kind of have to realize, okay, we can't, we can't let them sit next to each other. We're going to have to have like a buffer. Uh, but I remember one Sunday, we kind of gave him a big pep talk and I'm sure we offered lots of bribes and rewards. But I remember after words loudly outside the church, you know, one of my sons like, was like, dad, I didn't hit my brother during church. And I was kind of like, whoa, we have... Really set the bar low if that is, you know, like a huge win for the Taft family. Uh, no violence during church today. And um, I think sometimes when we look at this passage, we can merely focus, like, that's not really a win. Like, not hitting someone during church is not really, like, thriving in life. Um, and in the same way, Jesus, the, the point of this passage is not merely to say, don't be angry. Or if you're not angry or you're not hating someone, then you're thriving. Jesus is actually calling us, in the way that he's describing anger and the danger of it, on the flip side of that, what he's saying is that Jesus places a high value on life and a high value on reconciliation. From the womb until the deathbed, Jesus is concerned about life. Which is one of the reasons why when we hear of people dying in the news, regardless of what political party you're in, you can look at something like the Breonna Taylor situation and you can be sad and lament. Our first reaction when we see something like that should be, man, someone's life was just taken. When we see someone insulted on TV, we can say, man, if that was me, how would I feel? When we see people yelling things at politicians and hurling all sorts of awful insults, we can actually be sad about that. Why? Because Jesus places a high value on life. We don't only mourn death, we do, but we should also seek for others to thrive. This whole sermon is about finding our life in a kingdom that we see in Matthew 4 is marked by transformation and life and healing. And so in an age that is marked by division and hatred and suspicion, we as Christians should be the first to seek to bless people rather than to curse people. Uh, we should be really quick to look for the good in others before we point out what is horrible about them. 
And there will be moments where we see things in other people that are truly horrible and terrible. And the Bible doesn't say ignore those things, act as if they don't happen. But when we speak about them, we're actually able to do so by pausing and asking, and how, how would I like to be spoken about if like, my worst moments were broadcast to the public? We're able to approach these things with humility. And I say this in a season I mentioned earlier, it is an election year, um, and it will be really tempting, regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself on, to speak about those people in such a way that makes it sound like they're horrible and worthy of some sort of punishment that I would never be worthy of. They're the worst. Subtly implying that I am not the worst and maybe I might actually be the best. Um, The way we speak about each other is going to reflect our hearts. Gosh, we have got such an awesome opportunity. There's already enough demonizing going on in our culture. The kingdom doesn't allow that. It starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. By its very nature, this kingdom is a kingdom of grace, implying you didn't do anything to earn it. It is only because of God's grace. That should shape the way we speak about people with whom we disagree and even dislike. And don't get me wrong, God is a God, I mentioned this earlier, who does have anger. If you read to the Old Testament again and again, he pours out his anger against Israel for all manner of things, for dishonoring him, not giving glory to him, for not taking care of widows and orphans, for heaping up all the money for themselves. But, but, but the good news of the gospel is not that God is not angry. He is. He's angry against sin. He's angry against your sin and my sin. The good news of the gospel is that on the cross, Jesus experienced that anger so that we do not have to. In our place, he stood condemned so that we can be those who receive the words, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the good news that can actually lead us to look at our hearts honestly and say, you know what? Man, that anger has no place here. Lord, forgive me. And it can free us up to actually love the outsider and to treat others with humility and dignity as Christ has for us. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we do confess, uh, Lord, it's not just that we live in a world that's angry. Lord, we have angry hearts. Uh, Lord, some of us, even this evening, are reminded uh, of how demonization and gossip so easily slips into our conversations. Lord, we pray for forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would learn to hate our unjust anger. And Lord, that we would actually see our sin for what it is and that it would lead us to treat others with humility and kindness. 
to move towards the outsider. Uh, Lord, to speak the truth in love when it's hard, uh, but to do so in a way that is consistent with how you have spoken truth to us in Christ. Lord, be with us. We need your help, Lord. If there's any reminder that we need a Savior, it it is this passage tonight. So, Father, meet us, we pray in Christ's name.